The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? You do need to put your name on a waiting list if you'd like to sign up for Chen's letter. You can go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, and there you'll see a place where you can put your name on the list on the list and each and every quarter then Chen uh, up to a certain number of subscribers accepts new subscribers but uh, that's the way you have to sign up for Chen Lin who is now uh, vacationing and working in Beijing, China that's where he grew up and if anybody has a good insight I think into what's going on to, in China these days I think it's Chen Lin who has family members there he is an American citizen but he does spend time uh, a little time in China but is definitely always in touch with people in China uh, and so a very valuable resource, Chen Lin, what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling? Again, miningstocks.com to sign up uh, for Chen's letter or my letter, which you don't have to wait for. Uh, go to uh, miningstocks to, uh, to sign up for Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Uh, you can also call Claudia Bossi in our office to sign up for either of those letters or put your name on the waiting list. In the case of Chen, that number is 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. should like to remind you that probably the best place to go to check out everything that I do, including accessing this radio show, is to go to jtaylormedia. That's spell my first name, jaytaylormedia.com, and you can follow me also on Twitter under the handle jtaylormedia. We do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And, of course, we want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Blue... 
Blue Gold Waters Technologies Limited, Prophecy Platinum, Balmoral Resources, Golden Arrow Resources, and SGX Resources. Before we get started with today's show, I do like to go over some of our sponsors just to let you know how they're doing. Balmoral Resources, uh, uh, first of all, I should preface what I say here by noting that today is a very difficult day with gold down uh, some 18 or $20 today. So it's most of the gold shares are, are, um, are taking it on the chin, not all of them. But a lot of them are. Balmoral was down a couple of pennies earlier today at 46 cents. Uh, this company is now starting to drill uh, on its Martinier project again, and uh, they've had come up with some very, very solid drill results, and we'll be talking to the CEO of this company sometime in the near future. Blue Gold Water Technologies. Well, if this company does what it says it can do, it's going to be a huge success. I noted earlier today that it was up very dramatically, uh, but on low volume, so I don't know what it means, but... Um, the company does have contracts. Uh, it is uh, cleaning water from uh, from dirty water, turning dirty water into drinkable water. Uh, and if its technology works, as I say, then uh, and as efficiently as it claims it does, then this is going to be a huge success story. The stock is selling at 25 cents today. 78 million shares outstanding. So you can see it's a very low market cap for uh, given the promises that it's that it's making. We'll, we will see. And uh, I would hope to have the CEO of that company to talk to us sometime soon as well. Prophecy Platinum, we've had Greg Johnson, the CEO of this company, talking about that, uh, their project, the Wellgreen project up in the Yukon, stock selling at 66 cents. This, I think, is going to be a world-class project with Greg Johnson, a very uh, successful operator, uh, technical guy, CEO, heading the company, knows how to raise money, uh, and has done very, very well in the past with the projects he's been on. But the Prophecy Platinum uh, is certainly a world-class deposit and one that I think has a good chance of moving forward at a time when platinum is becoming more and more of a problematic, uh, hard-to-get metal, uh, especially given all the unrest in South Africa. SGX Resources is an early exploration company, but lots of success, selling at 9.5 cents today. Dale Ginn has been on this show, and I expect to have him back again sometime to talk more about SGX Resources. Uh, 127 million shares, but only a 10 cent stock, essentially. And Golden Arrow Resources has already found more than 100 million ounces of uh, silver equivalent ounces, I should say, uh, on its project in uh, um, that is in Argentina. But uh, lots of upside exploration potential there. That could be, uh, I think, an enormous, uh, an enormous upside potential for Golden Arrow, selling at 23 and a half cents, 41 million shares only, a 42 million. At, Shares outstanding. So, those are our, uh, the, uh, the 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 quotes now for our sponsors. All of them, with the exception of Blue uh, Blue Water, I uh, have recommended in my newsletter, and I do own shares in all the other stocks that I just mentioned. Shares that I have purchased with my own uh, with my own money in my IRA, with the expe- with the exception of Blue uh, Blue Water, I purchased that as a private placement. All right. You know, we've encouraged you from time to time to send in your questions uh, or even call in the show. And, you know, at the appropriate time, we would love to have people call in. We've just never pushed it very much, tried to tried to pursue it. Uh, but that is one thing we would be happy to have you do. But we are taking questions, and we have a couple of interesting questions and comments that I'd like to read off to you today before we get into today's show. The first is from Tom Greco, and Tom Greco is actually the author of a great book, uh, and Tom has been a guest on this show. It's called The End of Money and the Future of Civilization. 
and uh, it, it's a very interesting book. Certainly takes a different look of the world. So I'm not surprised by his comment. He says, "Jay, if we are in a situation approaching dictatorship, how does it make any sense to invest in gold that can be easily confiscated by the government?" Gold is not the answer to security. We must begin investing in our local communities to make them more resilient and self-reliant. We need to emphasize social solidarity, share what we have, learn to cooperate, and create new structures that support life and stop feeding the cancerous corporate oligarchy by our patronage of it. Well, to that, I must say, uh, Tom, I definitely agree with you to a great extent what you're saying here. I'm not sure how easy it will be for government to confiscate gold. That's an open question. I do think, though, that if we do decentralize and, and form small groups uh, that get along and uh, resilient, self-reliant communities uh, that share and learn to cooperate and care for each other, that is certainly a desirable outcome. Uh, but I'm not so sure that uh, a medium of exchange for barter and for trade within that small group wouldn't be even more important. And there's been no better way of, of, um, uh, of let's say, bartering or a better store of value than gold and silver. Indeed, nature has uh, chosen gold and silver as money. So uh, I, I definitely think that I agree. I certainly do agree with what you would like to see. My big reservation is that uh, given the kind of, uh, let's say, atheistic view that we have these days, I don't believe that human beings have it in themselves to be good. If you believe that, fine. I just don't share that view. I share the Christian view of of original sin, and so therefore I think there needs to be a faith in a God and a higher being and somebody that you can put your trust and faith in and for a reason to live outside of the here and now to think about how you're going to take care of your fellow man. Uh, if uh, it, it, I wish it were so, I, I wish I could believe it so that man is inherently good and we're getting better. Um, but uh, if you don't buy that view, and I don't, then it's very difficult uh, to see how things are going to get better unless there is some sort of a return to a belief, in my view, a belief in a higher being. Uh, and for uh, Christians and Jews, of course, that is the traditional uh, God of the Bible. Um, but in any event, thank you very much, Tom, for your views, and maybe we can have you back on the show again to talk about it. And by the way, folks, if you uh, would like to respond to those ideas that I just expressed, either pro or con, please send your questions for taylor at gmail.com and do so. One more uh, comment, though, uh, and a question that came forward. This is from Mary from Rhode Island. She says, I have a significant precious metals position in ETFs, SI, in the ETS, SIVR, PHYS, and the Sprott Physical Fund. They have taken a bit of a beating lately, but I remain steadfast. But it looks like it is just a matter of time before the COMEX crashes. Should I be worried about the value of my non-COMEX ETFs, or can I expect them to go up uh, to go up when the physical precious metals begin to rise. Well, I, I do think, uh, Mary, that your concerns are legitimate. I don't, I don't worry so much about owning gold uh, with the Sprott funds, uh, I think, uh, or with CES, it's the Central Fund of Canada, or GTU, that's the Central Gold Trust. Those are uh, Ian McAvity um, uh, led institutions, uh, funds, if you will, those, those trade under CEF trades, GTU trades on the New York Stock Exchange. You can buy Eric Sprott's ETFs. Those I have no, 
no concerns about because the gold is outside the system. It is stored in uh, separate vaults. Uh, of course, there's always the threat of totalitarian government. But aside from that, the market crashing, and I think there's a very real possibility that the COMEX will crash one day, or at least there will be uh, a move away from the futures because of the shenanigans that are being played by the big big banks. And I would just say that I would try to stay away from the ETFs that are really funded uh, by the major banking institutions, which in their very whole, in their very soul, uh, their heart of hearts hate gold and love fiat money because fiat money allows them to rip off the people that produce wealth. It helps the bankers and the and the government to redistribute wealth from those that create it. The miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, the people that do things for others are getting hosed, and the money and the wealth is being taken away from the producers and given to the thieves, which are the bankers and the government essentially. Um, now, gold money is another way, I would say, gold money, James Turk's gold money is another reputable way to own gold. And there you can go to jtaylormedia.com, jaytaylormedia.com, click on the gold money, uh, on the gold money, um, banner and it will take you right to gold money. There's lots of very interesting and important information there as well that you can pick up, uh, from, um, uh, from gold money, James Turk's. Uh, and many other people write and contribute lots of valuable information there. Well, let's get into today's show. Uh, today's show, we're going to be welcoming back Jim Rogers and Eric Coffin. You know, in the 1970s, Alexander Solzhenitsyn and other Russians longed for the blessings of liberty enjoyed in the United States. And Solzhenitsyn risked his life to speak of crimes committed against humanity by the Soviet Union. Now, libertarians like Edward Snowden seek refuge in places in Russia, in fact, from the clandestine brand of tyranny that's being imposed on Americans by NSA uh, that control the U.S. government, essentially. At least that's what I believe is, is true. Legendary investor Jim Rogers uh, saw the rising storm clouds over America uh, some years ago, so he moved to Singapore. We're going to ask him what he would suggest to those of us that are stuck in America. What should we do? Uh, are we destined to become indentured servants Seems to be the case, given the huge amounts of de- indebtedness that our government and our bankers have encouraged us to undertake. Certainly, uh, Americans are broken. When you're broke, you don't have much choice but to do what your creditors tell you to do in order to make sure you have the next bowl of porridge. So, um, well, in any, in, in any event, to help us pick uh, some, uh, we're going to be talking to Jim Rogers about sort of those philosophical issues, but to help us pick some gold exploration stocks uh, that can become, I think, can become moonshots. Well, one of the best analysts in the junior mine exploration sector is Eric Coffin. He's been with us before. He'll be coming uh, on the show at about 3.30 New York time. Uh, and even before Eric, though, we are going to be uh, privileged to have Chris Krupe with me today. He's the president and CEO of Paramount Gold, Gold and Silver. Uh, and he's going to be joining me just in about, well, as soon as we go to break here in just a few minutes. You know, Paramount Gold and Silver has something like a little less than 10 million gold equivalent ounces between the two properties, one in Mexico and one in Nevada. Uh, and a lot of interesting things taking place at the sleeper mine in, the, uh, in Nevada that we'll ask him about. Finally, at about 4.30 this afternoon, Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute uh, for Peace and Prosperity will be joining me to talk about the desire uh, for war on the part of the neocons. Well, Daniel will explain that even with 
a more moderate leader in Iran now, the bloodthirsty neocons have become even more hawkish towards Iran. Daniel will also comment on why he believes Israel has little to be concerned about with respect to Iran, even if Iran were to develop nuclear weapons, because Israel, after all, uh, has a huge number of nuclear weapons and now are fitted onto submarines and the ships. So, uh, you know, we're told one thing, the neocons, the NSA, uh, we are being told that we need to have, be in a perpetual state of war. Well, clearly, uh, Ron Paul's Institute of Peace and Prosperity disagrees with that, and so we'll be talking to uh, his his uh, leader of that group, Daniel McAdams. Uh, we do have to go to break right now, but don't go away, because when we come back, we're going to have uh, Chris Krupe with me. Don't go away. I'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Some things never go out of style. In the gold business, for over 100 years, high-grade Canadian gold discoveries have been in vogue amongst investors. Balmoral Resources has continued to deliver high-grade results from a series of new discoveries in Quebec. If you're looking to upgrade your portfolio in the fall with some golden highlights, learn more about Balmoral at balmoralresources.com. Balmoral trades on the OTCQX under the symbol B-A-L-M-F and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol B-A-R. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have with me today Chris Krupe. He's the president and CEO of Paramount Gold and Silver Corporation, trades in the New York Exchange under the symbol PZG. PZG, uh, and under the same symbol actually in Toronto, PZG. Uh, This is a company that I own shares in personally. It has uh, been a sponsor to this radio show in the past, and it has also uh, been a recommendation in my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, uh, for some time uh, now as well. It's a junior exploration company, but it stands head and shoulders above, I'd say, 99% of the other juniors that are out there, uh, Not because not just of one, but two, very advanced multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Uh, those uh, deposits are the Miguel deposit um, in Mexico and the sleeper deposit in northwestern Nevada. Welcome, Chris. It's good to have you back again, turning hard times into good times. 
Well, yeah, Jay, I love to be on your show as usual and love to give everybody a bit of an update on what we're doing. Yeah, well, you're doing a lot out there. You've got a lot going on at a time when a lot of the junior mining companies are basically uh, sort of hibernating because they don't have any money. Let's start out by asking you right away, uh, how much money do you have in the till now? Because that well, seems our, to be the biggest yeah, question. As of our last uh, filing, we had eight, we have $18 million in working capital and no debt. So uh-huh. That's a net number. And, you know, we did a raise in very early uh, 2012 because you know we didn't want to get get, get ourselves caught, and and that held us in good stead. So we haven't had to change our business plan whatsoever. It's full steam ahead for us here at Paramount. That's really good. Well, for the sake of people who have not heard your story uh, so far, uh, what is the gold and silver resource uh, at the sleeper? Let's talk about the sleeper first. I, I'd like to go get into that one. That's the sleeper mine is in Nevada, northwestern Nevada. I know something about it. I visited it as a banker many years ago. Uh, tell us about the sleeper deposit. Yeah, the sleeper deposit, as you hinted, was it was an operating mine. It was shut down when gold became uneconomic, sub three hundred dollars, and um, it sat or it sort of kicked around various hands. We picked it up in two thousand and ten uh, in a stock deal, very very modest, twenty million, twenty twenty five million, I believe it was, and um, you know we've we've taken that resource from one million ounces, which was left in the ground when it was shut down, to over five million ounces and counting. And we're very excited about this because this is not a deep deposit. This is a shallow, open a pit, uh, bulk tonnage deposit. And we've modeled a heap leach operation. So we'd be, mod- we'd be recovering about 4 million or mining about 4 million of the 5 million ounces. And it's a simple concept, Jay. We're taking what was there around the pit, underneath the pit. We've, we've spent a lot of money drilling it out. We've spent about 15 million in the last two years. And we're, we've just remodeled what we call a super pit. And we're really excited about the future of the project. You did have a, a preliminary economic assessment on it. Could you talk about that for a minute? I know it's probably out of date now, but can you sure. just give us a sense of what those numbers look like? Well, uh, well absolutely. So uh, we used a $1,384 gold price, which was the, the, the trailing average of the day. So it is a couple years old. But, in fact, it's a lot closer to reality than I think what almost every other company has put forward in the last uh, couple of years, as you can appreciate mm-hmm. the gold price. So it spins out uh, o- over $700 million in net present value. Um, the cash cost of $750 an ounce with, a, with a mo- what I would say a modest capex of $350 million. It sounds like a big number, but as, as, as for all the other mines that are being built, it's, it's, it's a fraction. So we're quite excited about that. We would, as I said, we'd be modeling about 4 million ounces on heap leach. And it's, it's not as intricate as the, or as complicated to build as a milling operation. It won't take as much time. That might come down the road, but the model would give us a 17-year mine life, producing over 170,000 ounces of gold a year plus a silver credit. That's a significant number. That would put Paramount and Sleeper on the map as being a mid-tier producer. And that, that's where this uh, project will, will go at some point in time. Yeah, and I should mention, uh, I don't think I did, but the stock is selling at about $1.25 off three cents today in one of a really horrible market day for gold. Today it's uh, down you know, $18, $19, I see on the screen at the moment. So, But in any event, uh, how many shares out there now, Chris? 100, $155 million puts the market uh-huh. cap uh, still comfortably um, you know, over the sort of $200 million mark and down from obviously 
five or six hundred million, but like everybody else, that's that's a function of the gold price, really. It is a function of the gold price, but not everybody else has uh, something close to ten million gold equivalent ounces. You mentioned, I think, five million ounces at the sleeper, but you know those numbers could increase. I would gather, Absolutely. given what I saw just recently. I mean, this is a very impressive drill hole, three hundred five point two six meters of one point zero eight grams per ton. Talk to us a little bit about the drilling program that's going on and what that drill hole and others around it might mean for the project. Absolutely. So what we have, Jay, is we're waiting on our permits. We're going to get some permits later in the month. We're going to run a million-dollar drill program. Uh, we're testing some new targets. We haven't really stopped drilling the uh, what I would call the old sleeper pit itself, so that's going on. We've also been um, doing some med testing because we want to bring this uh, into reserve grade, and that's when we get closer to the feasibility. So we're moving into, we're moving into pre-fees. But at the same time, and we've got a lot going on here, is we're going to redo the resource estimate it's already started. SRK is updating it. We've got over two years of drilling, Jay, that we hadn't counted yet. Mm. And when they start putting in these higher grades and these really long intervals, I think it's going to make the quality of the asset much better, and it will certainly increase the quantity. So uh, I guess in this day and age, um, we'll have to reforecast the gold price, but really we weren't very far off at the beginning. Our costs haven't uh, gone, won't, won't have gone up. So really we're going to have a nice story to tell in the fall when we're hopefully back on the show and talking to folks. So you think in the fall you're going to have some new numbers? When might you have a new resource? You know, I'm thinking, uh, let, me, let me throw it around about end of September, early October, because it, it's That's... already started. We've got a lot of drilling that needs to go in there, so oh, this is a... exciting for us. Really good. Okay. Well, that's the sleeper and lots going on there. Talk to us about the San Miguel. Where is the San Miguel in, in Mexico? Sure. San Miguel is in the Sierra Madre gold silver belt. Uh, the two closest mines are uh, Gold Corps El Salzol, which is the biggest producing gold mine in Mexico, and Coeur d'Alene's Palmarejo. You've also got uh, Pan American Silver that's now in there buying, having bought Dolores. Uh, you've got uh, Alamos Gold. You've got Pinos Altos of... Um, of Agnico Eagle, and the most recent entrant is Carlos Slim, having having bought Arico's um, uh, uh, project in there. So there's the area is now being is now established. There's roadworks, there's infrastructure. It's in the state of Chihuahua. We're having a great time with it. We spent about thirty million dollars in drilling it. We've got a great resource, and we think we're now it's going to be again a sleeper. It will become a mine again one day. And uh, we're very excited about it because we believe that it, the, the grades will justify uh, both an underground and open pit operation. What are your resource numbers? And you did also use, uh, uh, you did also have a PEA, a preliminary economic assessment done there. Talk to us about that. That's right. So yeah, we, we, um, we did publish a PEA, uh, uh, some time ago now, but, um, it, we've got a million and a half ounces of gold in the ground plus a hundred million ounces of silver. What we intend to do, and economically speaking, we're going to have a 14-year mine life. It's going to produce over 50,000 ounces of gold per year plus about three million ounces of silver. So it's a very nice resource. It's, the capex is very reasonable at 250 million. And that's mm-hmm. to build an underground operation as well. So we'll have a heat leach in underground. We're basically going to have a centralized mill which will take ore from the various deposits. So they'll be uh, through a road. So we have two strictly open pits, two open pit underground, and one strictly underground. Uh, the grade is a very nice grade. I mean, you're looking at an underground mining grade of averaging about four grams per ton of gold, which is really what we wanted to do was make an, a nice quality, low capex, 15-year mine life, you, you know, 
the next step, as I said, going through pre-feasibility on this thing, it's going to look even better, we think, because we've been getting some good numbers there too, Jay, and we haven't, we haven't stopped working in Mexico either. Well, how far do you plan to take this project yourself? I mean, you guys are exploration. Uh, you're an exploration company. How far will you take this yourself, Chris? Well, you know, we, we think we're getting pretty close, especially in Mexico, to where we need to uh, partner with uh, a builder. And I think there's people out there that are better builders. So we don't intend to be the, the builders of the mine. We'd like to participate, whether it be as an exit strategy, uh, selling the asset, selling the company, monetizing it in some way for the benefit of our shareholders. And really, I think the long term for us is getting sleeper off the ground. It's going to take a little bit more time and patience. But we think that in the next, you know, if, if it wasn't for uh, these markets, uh, I think we, we probably would have uh, done something to monetize that asset. But we're, we, you know, we're, we're in a good position now to keep moving it through the, the pre-fees phase right now, Jay, and we're happy to content to do that. And you're still spending money exploring, uh, developing, Absolutely. doing some more drilling down there? Absolutely. We, we had, we've never stopped uh, drilling this project for eight years that I've been the founder and CEO of this company. And, I, we, you know, I think the moment exploration companies stop spending, Exploration dollars is the day they're out of business, and I think it's hard to get back in business. So we've, you know, we've taken precautions to make sure that our business plans executed as we set out to do it. What uh, can you talk to us a little bit about your share structure? You do have some deep pockets behind this company. Sure, sure. We've got Albert Albert Freeberg of FCMI has twenty five million shares. We've got no warrants outstanding. Albert actually was uh, uh, exercised the last of his warrants this year, which doesn't happen a lot in this market anymore. Um, we've got we're also a Russell 2000 company, which is very few uh, gold companies, and especially our size. We're also in the GDXJ and um, uh, the about 30 other ETFs. So we get organic trading in the stock market. And we've got a number of institutions, primarily in, in uh, New York, and we've got the Rothschilds in Paris. So we've got. We've got a very good base. It trades. It actually trades well. I mean, it trades anywhere from, you know, three, four, five hundred to a million or so a day, depending on the day mm-hmm. and depending on what's going on. So it's a, it's a, it's a good stock to, to own because you're not stuck with it. Some, sometimes people get stuck with it. I, own, I also own four million shares myself as founder shares, mm-hmm. which I bought, paid for a long time ago, and I've been buying shares all the way through. And people see my form fours filed every once in a while when I see the price drop too low. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly is. Uh, it certainly is a substantial junior, as juniors go these days, and and one with the, with uh, you know fairly well funded and, and with deep pockets behind behind the company. That's that's very very encouraging, of course, and it's uh, not all that common these days. Uh, your website, so people can follow, is is what Chris ParamountGold.com. ParamountGold.com. That's excellent. Very good. Well, thank you. Anything else you'd like to add before we conclude our discussion today? No, Jay, I just think that as people look at these uh, type of juniors and look at Paramount specifically, uh, look, look at the price per ounce of gold or gold equivalent. And, you know, in Paramount's case, we're getting about $20 or so. And, uh, you know, there's no way that these assets are only worth $20 per ounce in the ground. They're, gold is still at 1250 to 1300 they're obviously not worth that, but they're worth something in between twenty dollars and twelve to thirteen hundred. That's how I like to value these companies pre pre revenue. And I, don't, I think you probably are the same way. Yeah. So keep your well, eyes on these numbers, right? They're very important. Yeah. Well, certainly, of course, uh, as long as the gold's in the ground, it isn't worth too much. So the prospects have to be there of getting it out at a profit, or okay. else, or else, uh, you know, it doesn't. That's the way I look at it. But I think, exactly. uh, you know, clearly your PEAs and both projects are very encouraging. And uh, well, we see when we come out of this. Uh, this uh, this uh, dismal gold market, this dismal market for these juniors, I think 
the sun will shine again and and uh, you know your kind of company with advanced projects like this is what I I think will probably be the first ones to take off so thank you very much Chris for being with us and we're going to be talking next up after the uh, after the break here with uh, Eric Coffin he'll certainly have some things to say about this dismal gold market and where he thinks it's going and, and not only gold but some of the other commodities as well so don't go away we'll be right back with Eric Coffin of the HRA Journal don't go away don't go away we'll be right back America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. SGX Resources is an exploration gold company with multiple advanced exploration projects in the Timmins Gold Camp. Recent high-grade intersections at SGX's Tully Deposit include 14 meters at 20.1 grams per ton and 17.6 meters at 11.1 grams per ton. The deposit is currently more than 600 meters along strike with a depth of up to 250 meters and remains open in all directions. SGX Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange with the trading symbol SXR. Visit our website at www.sgxresources.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, uh, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Eric Coffin, who is the editor of Eric Coffin's HRA Journal. Yes, uh, I guess you could say Eric uh, Eric's newsletter competes with Jay Taylor's gold energy and tech stocks, but that doesn't cause me to dislike him one bit or, or disrespect him at all. I, in fact, I consider him to be a real good friend, and I must say that I can't wait to read each of his letters when they come out. I am a paid subscriber to his service. I, I really enjoy it. Eric has a, a great grasp of technical issues having to do with mineral exploration projects, and he is uh, also very perceptive of all aspects that come into play with respect to the potential future of economics of, of various projects, I mean, it is every project is different, which is in a way makes it very this business very interesting, also very uh, challenging at times. And uh, well, he has also had a, a very good sense of various metals markets. I think whether they uh, whether they are undervalued or not uh, from 
or when they're on the frothy side, for that matter. So I, I should say before we uh, say hello to Eric that you can contact him and learn more about his uh, service at uh, hraadvisory.com. That's H-R-A, stands for Hard Rock, uh, Ad- Hard Rock Advisory, I guess. Hard Rock, Ad- H-R-A Advisory. Analyst, sorry. Uh, right, I should know that. hraadvisory.com. Well, thanks, Eric. Thanks for being with me again. Thanks for having me, Jay. Good to have you, and you tell me that everything is brilliant. Uh, sunshine is out in Vancouver, and when that's when that's the case, uh, there's no place that's more beautiful on Earth than Vancouver. I must say, it's rainy most of the time, a lot of the time. But I've been up there one time many years ago. My wife and I went up there for a one week's vacation. We stayed at the Sylvia Hotel, and I think that whole week was the only week they told us it was the only week all summer that it didn't rain. So I guess you've had a bunch of weeks up there. So it's you just you're just very lucky. I love Vancouver. My wife and I both do. That's one of the most beautiful places. But you uh, have to go to a lot of places that aren't so beautiful to do what you do or uh, to try to figure out what's going on with the companies that you cover. Um, you know, I'd like to talk a little bit about your, uh, get you to talk about your uh, July 28th publication. Uh, you noted, uh, talked about some anecdotal evidence of a bottoming in the mining and exploration sector. Would you care to share some of those ideas uh, with our listeners? Yeah, and, and I'll start out by saying this this was this editorial was written more from the I guess you could say the industry perspective rather than the market perspective. Um, I've I've been through a lot of cycles in the mining business. My dad was a mining executive. I lived grew up in mining towns. I mean, I've seen a lot of cycles come and go, and you do tend to see a, a similar pattern in, in the way that the companies behave when you're when you're at or near the bottom. And essentially, what they're doing is throwing everything overboard. And I've definitely been seeing that. Q2 this year was was pretty amazing in terms of write-offs, and it was it was really right across the board. You'd be hard pressed to find any any major mining company that wasn't writing off projects left, right, and center, and and basically really backing off in terms of uh, promising uh, production anytime soon on a, on a lot of the projects that were really sort of the marquee projects, and, and that's usually what you see. When you're when you're getting into the bottom and you see the mining companies basically just stop working on a lot of this stuff, you've also seen a lot of these companies really really slash exploration budgets. I mean, we all know what happened to the juniors in the last couple of years. I mean, those guys aren't you know most of them sort of don't have any money. The majors were doing a larger percentage of the spending than they had a few years ago. But even on that side of the, even on that side of the market now, you're seeing these guys really cut back. And this is something if you're not if you're not used to being inside the mining business, um, I've seen lots of commentary by you know market generalists. I guess I'd say mm-hmm. talking about you know, oh my God, look at all these look at all these deposits that are going to come on stream now with with the economy slowing down. And anyone that's been in the mining business as long as me can tell you, when the market gets like this, the project pipeline clears out really really fast. Um, all these guys thinking they're going to see two, three, four percent increase in production of gold or silver or copper or whatever, it ain't going to happen. Yeah, you know, Eric, you as you say, you've been around this business for a while. Even as a kid, your your father was a mining executive, so you've seen uh, you've seen the effect that it has on on the Canadian uh, on the Canadian economy uh, up close. You might say. And um, you, you noticed, uh, you noted in your last issue that this cycle, though, looks this decline looks a lot different than others. Could you comment on, on what's different this time? What's different about this about this uh, plunge it, in it's prices? Kind of a, 
it's kind of a strange one because what you've got is a decline. You've got a decline from all-time highs within what I think is still probably a secular bull market for commodities. I mean, it, it's a really large correction, but then I suppose given given the size of the move that you saw from the early 2000s until 2011, 2012, um, any kind of corrective move was going to be as, as big and scary as the move up was big and fun. Uh, and, you know, be, because there's been so much shift during that period in the whole demand side of the metals market, you know, everything shifted to, to bricks. I mean, it's not that Americans don't use copper anymore, Europeans don't use copper anymore, but there's been so much shift to the developing countries that that's, that's really changed. It's really changed the way that you've got to watch the world and try to figure out what the metal demand is going to be. And I think simply based on the percentage drop in a lot of metal prices, most of the people outside of the sector, and, and frankly, a lot of people inside the sector, have, have written it off and saying, you know, that's it, we're done, there's no more There's no more big commodity cycle. But normally when those cycles end, they end, you know, they don't end when the world economy is, is growing at least, you know, some sort of a, a slow clip. They usually end when you have these huge um, long-term recessions that, that nobody comes out of. And a lot of the world is, is coming out of a recession right now. My, my suspicion is we'll see metal prices in general strengthen a bit over the next couple of years. And the other thing, and it plays back into my original comments about the supply pipeline clearing out, there's a lot of large deposits that were carried forward two or three or four or five years even farther than what people thought their economic life would be because the metal prices went up so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with metal prices coming back, and this is this is probably more true of, say, the base metals than it is of, say, gold and silver or even copper, a lot of those really big base metal operations that have been hanging on for a few extra years, I think you see a lot of those come off stream in the next, the next year or two because it's getting harder and harder to justify keeping them open because they're, they're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel on a lot of these big mines. But because zinc went from like 40 cents to fifty, they can get away with that. But with it back at 75 or 80 cents, uh, a lot of these things start to close. So I, I think you see the supply side take care of itself, if you will. Yeah. Well, to what extent, um, you know, so much has been sort of depending on China to a great extent. Yeah. And you, you, you made some comments about China being the super Keynesian uh, model sort of engaging in a super Keynesian route. All countries are engaging in Keynesian economics, it seems these days. But, but uh, nonetheless, uh, they were a little different, weren't they? Instead of, I think you pointed out, instead of them buying, uh, I'd say buying buying up bad mortgages and things, they just went out and built more built more uh, more buildings and more infrastructure, right? Yeah, and I think the reason why this cycle, I mean, it, it would have been logical to expect to see this big fall off in 2009 and for prices to just stay down but of course that's not mm-hmm. what happened things turns around very rapidly mm-hmm. and i think i think china is largely to thank for that they they basically put a trillion dollar infrastructure spending campaign into motion and that that sucked up a lot of metals from all over the world and, and kept the prices higher than they, they probably would have been otherwise and and maybe in retrospect if they if they hadn't done that we'd already be on the other side of this crappy market because things would have been flushed out back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are they are changing things now. They they realize that they can't they can't just be the workshop to the world forever. I mean, to, to make the next step up in per capita GDP, 
they've got to they've got to shift to a more of a consumer oriented economy. And they are, you know, I'll, I'll say this for Beijing. I mean, they've had their missteps, but at least they seem to be pretty proactive with this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you always get the sense that those guys are thinking ahead. And I can't say I can't say there's too many groups of politicians I'd make that comment about. Yeah. Uh, so they are they are doing that shift, but I think there's a misconception among people that are bearish about commodities that okay, well if they if they shift to a consumer economy, that means suddenly they don't use any of this stuff. Well, yeah, of course they're still going to use it. I mean, these guys are still going to be buying cars and microwaves and condos and golf clubs and bicycles. I mean, mm-hmm. all this stuff takes all this stuff takes commodities, and although I think they'll do it at a much lower level, I don't think China's anywhere near done with the infrastructure rollout. I mean. The big, you know, a big percentage of the spending was was in the in the southeast part of the country, like you know Guangzhou, mm-hmm. places, places where most of the most most of the people that are wealthy are, where most of the manufacturing is. But they've got their own internal political issues, and they know they've got to they have for political reasons, if nothing else, they have to continue this build out to the east and to the north because if they mm-hmm. don't do that, those those parts of the countries are, are going to get more and more restive because they feel like they're not you know they're not getting a fair a fair piece of the pie. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think you're going to see these guys suddenly stop building buildings and stop building railways. They're, they're going to they're going to keep doing it. So you think what they're they're really uh, attempting to do is to develop a more consumer orientated society because they had they had not been. I mean, it was all capital yeah. formation or capital. It was all capital and a heavy industry. And if you look at the like consumer spending, for instance, as a percentage of the economy in China is about. I don't know, it's 25 or 30 percent. I think it might be up to 35 now because they have been trying to push it as opposed to, say, the states where, or Canada or most of Europe. Consumer spending is like 90 percent of the economy. Uh, they realize to kind of get to the next level, they've got to bring up the, you know, the service sector. But even though you're talking services, it's, it's not like, it's not like none of those industries use any hard goods. I mean, they, they still have offices. They still have, they still have warehouses. They still they still have desks and computers and all that stuff. I mean, the, that stuff doesn't go away. But they realize that they can't they can't go to from being say three thousand dollar per capita GDP to to ten thousand to twenty thousand. They can't do that just by making the cheapest iPhones in the world. That they better develop yeah. some of their own internal spending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember seeing a few years back, uh, Eric, when things started picking up in China and started driving this commodity boom to an extent, you, you would see per capita comparisons of China with uh, more advanced countries like, like Japan and the United States. And uh, I wonder how far that's gone now. And, and secondly, I'm wondering, you know, to what extent, um, uh, you know, if you start to have a more egalitarian, because as I understand it, China has, you know, a very small uh, group of extremely rich people, but if you were to sort of uh, develop, if they can develop a more egalitarian society that has money in the hands of the masses more, then it certainly would create a boom, I would think, for commodities, as you were pointing out, for automobiles and all those things that people need, uh, that, that, that you could be seeing just the start of a, of a boom in China. In demand uh, for like commodities. Think if the wealth, yeah, I mean, I'd like to think if the wealth is getting spread around more evenly rather than seeing, you know, say a family buying three Rolls Royces. Yeah. Um, you see 50 families buying whatever, whatever this year's equivalent to a, you know, the standard family sedan is yeah. in China. So it, like, yeah. it, it might not make, it might not show up in the GDP numbers as, 
making a lot of difference because there's, you know, instead of three quarter million dollar cars, there's fifty ten thousand dollar cars. But it would make it would make a difference in terms of commodity demand because those fifty cheap cars are going to use a lot more steel and aluminum and copper than the three rolls of rice do. Yeah. Um... Yeah, you indicated in your letter, uh, Eric, this is changing topics a little bit, but you indicated yeah. in your letter that you are in the process of recommending a sale of some of the companies simply because of the jurisdictions that they are operating in. What are what are some of the countries that you would consider to be problematic that investors might be most cautious about right now? Well, I mean, a, a couple of Southeast Asian countries that were, you know, all the rage, maybe for the wrong reason in one case, um, 10 or 15 years ago, like like Indonesia and the Philippines. I mean, both of those countries have got fantastic um, mineral inventories and, and, and metal endowments. I mean, they are they are a couple of the best places in the world to look for big mineral deposits uh, because they're both island arcs. They're all formed by volcanoes. It's just it's, there's big epithermal, big porphyry systems from one end to the other. But in, in both cases, I mean, the Philippines has made some moves to sort of open up their mining sector, but it seems that every time they take two step a step forward, they take two back, and, and the permitting is just so unbelievably difficult, and you get so much pushback from from the locals. It, it's just, I just personally, I don't think it's worth it, really. It's just not worth it to beat your head against the wall. Indonesia yeah. has made a lot of changes to their mining act. Most of them would be negative for investors, and again, you know, people in Jakarta say, well, you know, that's just you know, that's just political grandstanding. Don't worry about it. But at the end of the day, if you're somebody that's going to put, you know, $500 million or a billion dollars into a mine or $5 billion, you, you have to take that stuff seriously. You can't, not, you can't not take it seriously because once you spend your money, you're stuck. You're there. So I, I think both of those places, for instance, I, they used to be, they're great geologically, but I just, I just think they're too difficult. Um, a lot of areas of Central America, most, most of Central America, frankly, with the exception of maybe Nicaragua, a couple of other countries, if they're just too difficult politically. The permitting is just, it's just torturous. Um, yeah. Ecuador has great geology, but nobody's quite sure what, what their system's going to look like at the end of the day. And, it, and it's obviously a pretty bad sign when Kinross pulls out of there. Uh, yeah. del Norte is, is one of the best. You know, arguably it was the best discovery, one of the best discoveries in this cycle. It's high grade. It's the type of thing that should, in theory, be able to carry a lot of costs. And the fact that Kinrock just finally threw their hands up and left is a, you know, that's a pretty bad sign. Um, yeah. I haven't pulled out of Argentina. I mean, I love, I love the geology in Argentina. And I think Argentina is one of those countries where things will sort of settle down. I mean, it's, it's it's a, a little bit more short-term politics there in terms of the current president, but I know because I know guys at majors that have told me that you know they were spending a lot of time looking at at deposits in Argentina four or five years ago, and right now all of these guys, without exception, have said we wouldn't touch the place with a barge pole because it's just it's just too unpredictable. Yeah. When you're when you're spending two billion dollars that you can't move once you spend yeah. it, no. you don't do unpredictable. No, exactly right. Well, n- nothing is predictable, of course, even in even in Canada, where British Columbian government has from time to time been made mining a little difficult as well. But, but in any event, well, Eric, I'd like to if, if the election had gone the other way in May. I mean, in May there was an election here this spring, and it was uh, the Liberal Party, which is actually more right wing than that name would imply to Americans. Yeah. One, if the other party NDP had won that, I can I guarantee you the expiration of spending in D.C. would have dropped eight percent. Right. 
Yeah, so, I mean, there's no place that's 100% safe. We're talking about relative safety here and the rule of law, of course, which is, you know, not always etched in stone, even by even the, by the United States government, we're finding out. But in any event, I'd like to just, with the time we have left here, talk a little bit about gold. Uh, Eric, you know, you were talking about this uh, this rapid decline in the prices. I look at a uh, at a chart, it goes back 10 years uh, ago, and it's it's a chart of the S&P TSX Global Gold Index. And, you know, yeah. we're seeing basically what I see, a bottom that equals that of 2008. In fact, it's at or below where it was when gold was selling at $300. What kind of downside do you see from this level for the gold shares? I, I think the biggest risk short-term and, and it's, I, I've been trying to get a handle on, you know, how big an, an impact this would have. The biggest risk short term is simply, you know, the Fed saying, okay, we really mean it this time. We're, we're ending yeah. QE3. We stopped the bond buying. Um, you know, that, that has the potential to generate, I think, one more down leg. I, I think it's fair to say that some of that is priced in just the way that, because I do think a lot of what's been happening with gold, especially the last month or two, is really based on people thinking QE is ending soon. Mm-hmm. I think that's been driving a lot of the selling. So to some extent, it's priced in. But you know, there's always going to be people that aren't going to do anything about it until they see the announcement. So I don't think you can. I don't think we can avoid assuming there might be another fifty or hundred buck down leg. But I think once that's out, there's really. I, don't, I think that's it with the bad news. I don't think there's a lot more bad news coming after that. Yeah. I think that's where we see the bottoming, and the bottom may be maybe above the bottom that we saw last month. I mean, I, I think some of the bad news is just being, um, you know, mines underperforming, companies underperforming, and then you sure. see all these huge Q2 write-downs. Sure. Uh, once, once you've done that, you've got a lower, you've got a much lower capital base to be depreciating. And, and I think I think people need to see these guys delivering on, on bottom-line numbers. Yeah. I think you're going to see that. I mean, guys I've talked to at majors, I mean, it's a very different world for most of these guys. Uh, Ten years ago, everybody thought gold was going to go up 500%, so it was, show me 30 million ounces at half a gram on top of a mountain someplace. I don't give a crap. Just show me the 30 million ounces so I can put it on the books. Yeah. <laughs> you, you never sell something like that now. Those guys yeah. right now, it's all it's margin, margin, margin. Show me margin. You right. show me a deposit that's got margin, we'll buy it. So, And I think that trend, and it's overdue, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to help the whole sector. So I think I think within the industry we're already seeing the change. So I don't think the bottom for the the shares is very far away. I'm yeah, I, it, it, it sure seems that the, a lot of the risks have have been taken out when you're looking at, you know, you're looking at gold at a, at gold shares that are uh, that are priced where gold was when it was three hundred dollars. I realize costs have gone up a lot, and there's a lot of recklessness and bad decisions made. But uh, it looks to me like this could be a great time to be buying some shares. Now, with a couple of minutes we have left, what would be one or a couple of your top picks? A couple that you think that that you are really excited about personally. Well, right. Yeah, right now on the expiration side, I mean, I'll give you three, three names, and and without, you know, I'll just touch on each briefly. But basically, what I like about all three of these companies is, I really like the targets they're drilling. All of them have, they're all they're all explorers. They'll have lots of cash. So even after they do the drilling that I'm that I'm talking about, they're still going to have lots of cash. So that mitigates a lot of the downside risk. I mean, one company is called uh, Colorado. That's that's been a good win for readers. I mean, I was talking about it. 15 or 20 cents pounding the table a bit in the winter. It went up to about 50 earlier this year on a discovery. They drilled four holes there. It, it looks like if you've got the, the 
high mag and the high IP chargeability, that's where you're going to get great. There's a mm-hmm. lot of that left to drill. They are drilling right now, so, I mean, I'm expecting more results any time. I mean, granted, four holes isn't much to, that's, that's hardly a statistical, statistically valid, but, you know, if they can keep putting out holes like the first four, I mean, they're trading mm-hmm. at about 70 cents. I mean, they'll get traction for sure. They've got 30, 40 cents a share in cash. Another company that I follow is called Mondoro. They're right next to another company that I follow called Reservoir that made a really interesting discovery in Serbia last year. Incredibly impressive drill holes. They're drilling similar targets next door to them. Uh, one of the things I like about this company is they're basically trading at cash value. Their share price is mm. equivalent to how much money they have in the bank. And this mm. isn't that expensive a drill program. They're still going to be pretty much equivalent. So to my mind, it doesn't have a lot of downside. But if they hit one of these high sulfidation drill holes, like the guys next door have been hitting, it, it, it can go a long way. Because the guys next door of reservoirs are putting out amazing drill holes. Like, they're incredible holes. What's the, the symbol on that, Eric? Which one? The, the Mandara. What's the symbol? Uh, symbol. M-U-N. And what's the symbol in Colorado? Colorado is CXO. Okay, and one more. You've got one more. We've got a minute um, left. The last, the last one um, is uh, the symbol MRZ. It's called Mirasol. Uh, I started following them because we really like the stuff in Argentina. And, of course, I just mentioned the Argentinian problems. But they did a great job of making a silver discovery, selling most of it to core. They have about, they're trading about a buck, 30, buck, 40. They have about a buck, 10 in cash and core <laughs> shares. And they've moved a bunch of their people over to Chile, which, of course, is a great exploration address. These guys are great explorers. They've made several big discoveries. Right now, they're drilling two two systems uh, called Atlas and Titan in, in Chile. Um, the surface stuff has been probably a little bit low on the grade side, but they're very, very big systems. Like, these are big, big targets. They're the kind of thing that if you hit, it could be something really big. And, again, they don't have a huge amount of downside because they've got so much cash and because this management team has got huge, huge credibility in the market. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good company. I, it's one that I've added as well, Marisol and Colorado Resources. Uh, thank you very much, Eric. We're out of time. Folks, uh, you need to go to hraadvisory.com uh, to catch up with Eric and all he's doing there and, and sign up for his excellent newsletter. I did. You should. There's lots of good advice there, and I think you can make some money with this guy, and that's the best reason to go of all. Thank you very much, Eric, for being with me again. I look forward to Thanks talking for to you again, again sometime oh, in the yeah, near future. Anytime. All the best. Take care. All right. Folks, don't go away. You're going to be right back with Jim Rogers. You don't want to miss what he has to say about commodities, gold, and what's going on uh, in terms of our liberties, our civil liberties. He's in Singapore hiding out there. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Jim Rogers. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property, a large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Some things never go out of style. In the gold business for over 100 years, high-grade Canadian gold discoveries have been in vogue amongst investors. Balmoral Resources has continued to deliver high-grade results from a series of new discoveries in Quebec. 
If you're looking to upgrade your portfolio in the fall with some golden highlights, learn more about Balmoral at balmoralresources.com. Balmoral trades on the OTCQX under the symbol BALMF and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol BAR.